Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host Lou Weiss, who is also the president of All Metals and Forge Group. They're a manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless roll rings, who spends a lot of time talking to the manufacturing industry across various sectors to help do this presentation. And today we have with us Ken Fanger, and I've spoken with Ken a couple of times from uh, On Technology Partners. Lou and I have had several discussions about something called NIST 800-171. We did have a guest sometime back who said, if you mow the lawn on a government property, you're gonna have to be NIST 800-171. Ken, we appreciate you joining us to demystify what this is. Glad to be here, thank you. So what is uh, NIST 800-171 and how does it impact manufacturers from the smallest to the largest company? So the NIST 800-171, which is part of the new cyber maturity model certification is a set of standards that you should be implementing to keep government information safe and secure. So there's, different levels that you would want to get to depending on what type of information you have. Uh, there's a level one, which are for just getting a government contract in the Department of Defense. And then there's a level three, which a lot of companies will have to get to, which has got a lot more cybersecurity standards is the full NIST 800-171 compliance level uh, that you're gonna have to get to. So it's, there's a lot, there's 131 different practices that you will have to implement. But as you do this, yeah, it's a terrifying number and it can feel overwhelming. And that's one of the things that when we're working with our clients, we try to remember, remind them is don't try to do everything all at once. If you go for any type of those certifications, ISO, you wanna make sure you're doing it in a formal intelligence process that is bringing your whole company along. Um, I always take a moment to kind of explain the reason why they have the cyber maturity model certification and they call it that is because it's not just doing a checkbox. They wanna see that you are living these now. Uh, the NIST uh, 800 standard has a lot of good suggestions and there's a lot of companies, I tell one. So I was out in New Jersey and I was working with a client there and they had met the NIST 800, or they said they had met the NIST 800-171 standard. But when I went in, sitting behind the secretary in the lobby was their server. And so I had asked them about that and they said, well, yes, we have a um, plan of action milestone that we're gonna move it. This was over a year ago. The truth is it isn't that they're bad people or they're doing bad things. It wasn't top of mind. And so they didn't get to that step because they had to worry about getting products out the door. And we all know with this last year, products out the door has been a real challenge. And so that's what the government's now looking for is they wanna see that you've actually implemented it. One of the biggest changes from a few years ago till now is there's no plan of action milestones accepted. If you don't have it in place, it doesn't count towards your certification. So that's a real big change because a lot of companies, and we all know this, we'll get to it later. I call it the uh, wimpy. For those of us who remember wimpy, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. They wanna to get past that standard. They wanna to get to where you actually have implemented everything that's in that list. Uh, I recall when my primary 
uh, company, All Metals and Forge Group, went for its ISO registration in 1993. Uh, and that took a year uh, with a, um, uh, a consultant uh, that helped us through it. And it was fairly painless, except for the some of the employee pushback uh, which uh, is part of the territory. Uh, but now uh, we're in it for 25 years, 26 years. Uh, I, I, thank the, I thank the ground that I walk on that we did it because it really, uh, it's, from a marketing standpoint, it did what it was supposed to do. And from a uh, saving our butt a lot of times, uh, it, it was very necessary and very appropriate. Appropriate, and I believe the same or similar thing is uh, with NIST 800-171. But I'll let you talk about that. Well, yeah, and and one of the things we're actually building is a way to do training because that buy-in conversation is so important. You can throw as much technology at it, but and. I used to work in the pharmaceutical industry and I worked for a drug manufacturer. And so we had FDA compliance requirements, which were very stringent. And they required that there were complex passwords for every account, for everything you did. Human beings can't remember complex passwords. And so I could literally walk around, flip up a keyboard and all the passwords for that person were on the keyboard. <laughs> Not as, you know, people will find ways if they are on board with you, they're going to find ways to get around your security. And, you know, it, it's unfortunately today, you could bring your cell phone in, turn it on to hotspot and connect to the internet. There are ways around it. And they're not, this is one of the things I do a presentation on employees and cybersecurity. Most employees are not trying to destroy your company, but they want to get their job done. And like that company I told you in New Jersey that had that server, it's not that they didn't value that that should be in a safe place, they just had to work. We all know that work is the big thing here. Um, and so getting that buy-in, getting that conversation piece with your employees earlier than later is so important because once you do this as habit, you'll keep doing it. But if you feel like you're fighting your employees, they'll never be on board. And we're trying to build these five-minute trainings that people will be able to do that because like I know um, NIST has a requirement that you have an annual security training program. But how many of us want to sit through an hour and a half or a half a day of cybersecurity training? Um, I just sat through the um, CMC, literally how you label uh, class uh, or CUI information. It was three and a half hours. And at the end of it, I really probably only came up five or 10%. And so we have to think differently as we do this. Let's train our employees more often, a lot smaller. So it doesn't feel like it's this terrible thing that, oh my gosh, you're gonna take me off the floor for a whole day and you're gonna throw all this information at me. That doesn't help anyone. So I think we need to change how we're looking at doing this cybersecurity, make it more every day, make it smaller and more inclusive as opposed to trying to ram everything into just a checkbox conversation. Ken, you bring up an interesting point, and that is complex passwords. And as we mature in our interface with the internet, we're all being forced to complex passwords. But in this environment, as you said, you don't want them written under the underside of the keyboard. 
How do people remember them? Well, we actually don't. We use something like LastPass and the FBI and the government will tell you, you should use a password management system. So you have one really complex password that you then keep in a safe somewhere. We actually have a fireproof safe in our office that we put our password in and then it remembers all of them. And one of the nice things is it works on my phone and my phone uses biometrics, fingerprint, face scan. So you have to be me to get into my last pass and then I don't have to memorize my passwords because I have 485 passwords and they're all <laughs> complex. I couldn't remember two, so I sure couldn't remember 485 of them. <laughs> Um, you don't use your birth, birth date as your password. Yeah, I just reverse it and then I take it the other way. And my dog, I, I, I heard a great joke. Um, somebody was going to the pet store to get a dog and they said, we have to be careful what we name them because this will be our password forever. <laughs> uh, so what, what is that system called? It's the one we use is called LastPass. And there are other password management systems. We've liked LastPass. Our whole company has implemented it. And we can then share passwords appropriately. So if a technician needs to get in to work with a client, we can share that set of passwords with that technician. And then we can remove it if at the end they don't work with that customer anymore. So it gives you some flexibility and interoperability as you do this. And it also... This is one thing people don't think about. If you have employees and they have passwords, especially for outside systems, and they die or they leave and they don't give you the password, you could find yourself in a bad situation. Using something like this LastPass lets you have a centralized repository. So if an employee isn't available, you can still get to that information if you need it. Very good point for everyone to listen and take down that information. Yes. We, don't have we don't have 485. I have about 20. That's too much for me with the, with the 20. So 485 is uh, on another planet. Yeah, it's, trust me, I couldn't do it. Ken, in terms of size of company that you work with, you know, where does it begin? And we know it ends at the, the large multinational. What's the smallest company that can really accomplish NIST 800-171? Well, that's a great question. And one of the things that I talk about when I do talk with companies is this is going to be an expensive process. It's $35,000 to $85,000 to have an auditor come in and do the audit. And it's only lasts for three years. So you have to have, not counting the amount of money you have to do to get ready for it, just the amount of money right now to audit it is really high. So you have to ask yourself, I usually think you're probably looking at a minimum of a three or a $5 million company. And you gotta be looking at a good amount of your money coming from government work because you just, that cost is so high. And we're hoping the government's gonna come through and do something. I, I, I kind of find it interesting, like FDA, those are federal employees that do the FDA audits. So it doesn't cost at that level. But I think there, so I, I think you're gonna see some changes coming down because a lot of small companies are gonna to have to get out of manufacturing for government if they keep that level of expense every three years. That's my personal feeling. That's not, I haven't heard anything official. <laughs> I agree. I mean, there are oftentimes when the people in Washington come up with a plan and then they implement the plan and they go, oops, we just lost 30% of our supply chain. We've got to figure out a new plan. <laughs> Uh, one of the things that uh, 
I, I think I know about uh, NIST is that actually this was started five years ago, but they never got to the correct December 31st date uh, to implement. Uh, my understanding is that the December 31st, 2021 is the real date, but they've said that every year for the last five years. So yes. is this the real date? I don't, they, they were supposed to be doing provincial um, audits. I have not found anyone that's gotten a provincial audit yet. I think it's going to be, especially thanks to COVID, which has thrown so much into chaos. I think we're looking at another year or two because it's supposed to be by 2026. Every Department of Defense has to meet this security standard. That's only five years. That's a pretty high hurdle to get over since we haven't even started yet. So I think you're looking at 2022, we'll probably start to do the provincials. And then 2028, probably, you know, we'll probably be at that point where they actually are requiring the certifications across the board. When I uh, was uh, with All Metals and Forge Group, one of the primary reasons that I anticipated the reason for doing this was uh, for, as a marketing tool to brand myself as uh, a quality house and so on. Uh, and that worked very well. Is NIST 800-171 a marketing tool? Is there a benefit with the uh, government that uh, I want to do business with the government as a because you had mentioned that you should be doing X millions of dollars with the government to go through all of this. But if you go through all of this, you don't do business with the government. Can you use it as a marketing tool to market to the government? The answer is yes. And if you're doing DOD, and my feeling is they're going to spread this to the other federal governments after they get in place, you can't have the contract. And Unfortunately, the government solution to this is, so let's say you do get certified at a level three, but then you stop doing the things. They will charge you two and a half times the value of the contract if they find you're not compliant. So mm -hmm. they are doing it. Yeah, it's, it's a big stick approach. They are punishing you if you, you don't do it right. So you can't get the contract. And if you fail to keep your certification, you have to pay them back a lot of money. Um, but I think a lot of the mid-sized and small manufacturers are going to find their primes are going to push it right now more than necessarily the government. That's where I see a lot. The companies we're talking to, the primes are saying, here, show us how you're certifying to NIST 800-171. Show us what you're doing. The government hasn't actually, and I think a lot of small businesses, the true small business, because the federal government has like 100 or $500 million and 500 employees. Most people don't think of that as a small business. Um, so, you, you know, the, the five, the 10, the 25, the $50 million companies are probably working with a prime and that prime is going to require it before the government requires it on them. And my understanding about this is that there are five levels and yes. that's dependent upon the product that you're selling. Am I correct? I mean, if I'm a manufacturer that makes screws, let's say, mm -hmm. I might only have to be a level three. I don't have to go for the full bore level four and five. So it's product yes. related, am I correct? It is, well, it's actually information related. 
So there's two types of information. There's federal contract information. So if you make screws, you probably only have to be level one. Um, and if you make screws that you sell to everybody and you just sell, they're called off the shelf, you don't even have to meet compliance. If you can show that you have not changed your product and you sell it to the general public, you can sell it to the government as long as there is no changes for the government. If you change it for the government, you'll have to have level one. But now if you have a unique part or you do a new unique service that requires um, CUI information, then you have to have at least a level three. Now level four and level five, those are very specific. There's only gonna be a small number of contracts that require that. But if you're level three, you are gonna have to, you're gonna have to meet all of the NIST 800-171 um, items in it. So most people are gonna to get to level three. A uh, fair amount will be level one. Nobody's going to do level two. There's no value in level two. So it's level one and level three, and then really advanced. So if you're making parts for uh, an aircraft carrier, or you're making parts that are very unique to make a stealth jet, you're going to have to be level four or level five, depending on what you're making. But you're right. They are, it is product and information. And the reason why I say information, and this is something people need to realize is, wherever that information sits is gonna to have to be certified. So if you're using a third party to back up your information, they're gonna to have to show that they have the security requirements as well. And that's something a lot of manufacturers don't realize is if you're using an MSP, managed service provider that manages your network, if they are holding your information, you have to show how that information is not accessible to uh, bad agents. I'm familiar with that because our outside IT company, uh, I have uh, initiated the NIST 171 here, and uh, we've already had our IT company take the, uh, do the necessary paperwork uh, and questionnaire to show that they are compliant. So it, 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 there's a lot of steps. Yes, and, and that's the thing that is so surprising to a lot of people is it's not just what you do, it's what anybody that touches that information does. And we're working on helping companies get to those different levels and having solutions that let them move forward and not overburden them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you, you don't you're cutting, you're cutting in a couple of things. Uh, okay, if that's happening, Lou, why don't you uh, jump in looking for you're, website? You're fine now. You're Go fine ahead, Tim. now. Well, it looks like Tim's, uh, Tim's frozen. We have enough so. vertical from Ken in our manufacturing outlook easing for September. Yeah, we, we talk about ransomware uh, in that article and it's so important, especially for manufacturers, even if you are not, and this is one of the things, NIST 800-171 is good practices. They can be onerous at some levels, but every company should be looking at at least some implementation of it. And I talk about ransomware. We all heard about what it did to JBS. We all heard about what it did uh, to the pipeline, it is a real problem. It's a real danger out there and it's happening. And when it does, it can be devastating. Um, one of the things I tell, there's a website, ic3.gov, which is the FBI's report 
if you do get ransomware, any company that gets ransomware should report it immediately. One of the things people don't realize is a lot of these ransomwares are kits that the hackers bought and the FBI might have a key to unlock your information. Can you give that information to our listeners again? You bet. It is ic3.gov. ic3.gov. Great. And yeah, it's... And one of the other things, you, you probably have all heard about the Kaseya hack where they attacked a MSP service that monitors computers. One of the things that I'm also trying to get people to realize is you want to make multiple layers of protection. You want to be talking about, you, you hear passwords and firewalls and ransomware resistant backups. You should be looking at levels of protection. One thing is not enough protection. It's kind of like if you get insurance, you have homeowner's insurance, you have car insurance. You don't want to let anything be exposed and you want multiple levels of that protection as you go forward. And that's one of the nice things about the NIST 800 is it automatically builds in different levels. It protects the user, it protects the information, it protects the systems, it protects the network they run on. And so that's what you wanna be looking at is not just, oh, we put in monitoring, we're done. It's there's monitoring, there's firewall, there's active resistance. All of these things come together as a package so that if one of them fails, other things are still up and protected. I'm gonna make a statement that is a typical uh, lower level person in the company would say, why do we have to do this? We were fine without it. Well, your company could go out of business because some teenager put you out of business because of a cyber attack or ransomware. This is nothing to fool with. No. This is, this is infinitely more important than ISO even though there is some overlap within that, but uh, it's something that uh, uh, you folks out there in uh, TV land should be taking very serious. Well, and I'll, I'll give you a wire fraud example that I actually experienced. Um, so I always like using two stories. So we had, and many of you probably have this, your accounting firm, your accounting department gets an email that looks like it came from a client that has a bank account and says, please make remittance payment to here. Um, we had one company where they sent $120,000 payment to that bank account because it came from the president of the company. It looked official and they didn't think about it and it was fraudulent and they took the money. Um, and so when you talk to that quote, low level person, we train their team from then on out that if they get uh, something over $5,000, they just place a quick phone call. It has saved them hundreds of thousands of dollars because these attacks still get through, they still look legitimate. But now when they see one, they make a quick phone call. And I tell people, you know, we're, we're so used to electronics, we've lost the art of just saying hi to people. And I guess I'm old enough that I still like being able to get on a phone and saying, hey, did you send me that email? And so just teaching your people that simple step has saved thousands of dollars for many of my clients and it doesn't take anything. There's no technology involved. If you get a request to change payment, five minute phone call. Um, we talked with Westfield Bank and talked to people about that. It's like, if you get something from your bank to make a payment, 
talk to your banker. Don't be so afraid to get on a phone. We seem so concerned that a five-minute phone call is a waste of our time. $120,000, I got a lot of five-minute phone calls I can make for $120,000. Old technology works the best. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and Ken, isn't there a very high fatality rate for companies that have been hit with a ransomware attack? Yes, yeah, 60% of companies, especially small companies, will fail within the first year after getting hit with ransomware. So it is a terrible killing. You know, when you think about that, what would you do not to die? You, you would hopefully look at that a different way than anything else. And there are so many good solutions to it. Um, I'll give you another example, two companies. I had one company that came to us that got ransomware before. And let me tell your users, if you have a backup, make sure that it's not connected to the computer that it's backing up. They had done their backups. They were doing a good job, but they left it connected. The ransomware attacked the computer and the backup. And it took us six weeks and we still lost about 70% of the information. Now we got them back up and running, but it was very expensive. We had another client. We have a very special ransomware resistant backup. There's others that are out there. They got ransomware. We were able to get them back up in 15 minutes and they lost nothing. So you can see the difference being prepared. I'm sure Lou, you know this, it's being prepared versus going after the fact. Don't go after the fact. Whoever you work with, your MSP, make sure they're doing these backups. Backups are your best protection against ransomware. You got it. Uh, Ken, why don't you give our listeners your contact information, your website, uh, email if you wish. Sure, yes. So our website is on technologypartners.com. And the best part is if you go and you sign up, you have a chance every month to win $100 just by signing up to be on our mailing list. So we pay you to be on our mailing list. I know people like getting paid. Um, and my email is k.fanger, F is in Frank, A-N-G-E-R, at ontechpartners.com. That's O-N-T-E-C-H-P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S.com. And we're actually also giving away a free escape room to help teach your employees about cybersecurity. So we're all about getting this information out. Well, we certainly look forward to helping you do that, both through this uh, episode here and a podcast and our easy manufacturing outlook that people can find at manufacturingoutlook.com. Ken, thanks for being with us. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Good information. Yeah, this is terrific information, which we will get out to the general public. We encourage everyone to go to jacketmediaco.com, our umbrella website where all of our podcasts are shown. And we appreciate everyone listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.